Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United WeCast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young onset Parkinson's called Rebound. If you know someone with Parkinson's or you know nothing about Parkinson's, you will want to read Brian's story. Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader? Audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Brian's foundation, which supports those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily, but not exclusively, involving the NBA. And that is here. So, we are officially entering the quiet period for the NBA. I wasn't quite sure it still existed, and moves like the Clippers acquiring Eric Bledsoe are capable of breaking the silence at any given moment. But... There isn't likely to be a steady dose of events for the next few weeks. I'm just warning you, it may get a little esoteric or even more eccentric than usual around here at the pod as a result. This would be a really smart time for me to shut down this daily Monday through Friday production of On the Ball, but I am going to soldier on and see if I can push through by continuing to provide a daily dose of insight into NBA happenings. In the spirit of service, I want to try to shift the perspective on what is expected of the Golden State Warriors next season in this episode. Maybe I'm affected by this more than most because I live in the Bay Area, but the rosy projections of them getting right back to title contention are mystifying when I look at what they have. And perhaps more important, what they don't have. And I don't do this to be a derpy derp. I just know from firsthand experience that expectations set too high can then depreciate what would otherwise be accomplishments worthy of celebration. As someone who's been around this franchise since 1992, covering it first as a beat writer for six years, returning to serve as a sideline reporter for NBC Bay Area telecasts about eight years ago or so, and regularly attending games in between those stints, working for ESPN with the Bay Area as my home base, 
I think I can pinpoint why there is this resolute belief that the Warriors are on the brink of returning to championship caliber form. It's really not that different from the resolute, resolute belief, low, those many, many years of struggle and disappointment, that they would rise up from their perennial trips to the lottery and become a force to be reckoned with. The resolute belief that had them thinking, the Warriors fans that is, that Joe Smith or Todd Fuller or Derek Fisher was going to lead the franchise to the success that they'd always dreamed of. And actually, there would be an oasis reached in the desert of seasons doomed by the All-Star break to keep the faithful entranced. Chris Webber comes into town and the Warriors are tagged as an upcoming powerhouse until Webber forced his way to Washington by sitting out the first eight games of his sophomore season. Thirteen years later, an unlikely band of brothers come together in what would have otherwise been another lottery-bound season, squeak into the playoffs with a 42-40 and record, and then upset the number one-seeded Dallas Mavericks. And then another drought ensued until Mark Jackson and Jarrett Jack and Richard Jefferson and Carl Landry arrived and took on the Warriors as a reclamation project, providing desperately needed and desired tutelage on how to win in the NBA for a trio of young, talented players in Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green. But this is what is missed, or at least underappreciated, about the first two blips of success and then the siren scream of seven consecutive playoff appearances, including five straight trips to the finals and three championships. And that's the utter turns of luck and good fortune that contributed to them happening. It's as if the basketball gods starved the Warriors and their fans of any luck at all year after year, wet their appetite with an occasional dollop, and then opened the floodgates for seven long years. Although, if we're really going to give an accurate assessment, the Warriors made a concerted effort to prevent that five-year reign atop the NBA from ever happening. I'm not bringing this up to discount anything the Warriors have achieved, and I'll get to that concerted effort in just a second. Every team that has any sort of success has to have a degree of luck. And yes, I believe that it's possible to operate in a way that attracts lucky circumstances more than disappointing ones. I'm bringing it up because as someone who knows everything this franchise has been through over the 30 years that I've been around it, there seems to be a lack of true appreciation for just how special the stretch between 2014 and 2019 truly was and how greedy thinking another stretch is about to begin truly is. Here's the truth about C-Web coming to town. That's not who GM and coach Don Nelson wanted. He tanked the 92-93 season in order to land Sean Bradley, the 7'6 center from BYU that Nelson envisioned as the lithe and mobile shot blocker behind his arsenal of run-and-gun small ballers. Nelson was truly ahead of his time, for what he imagined then is standard issue now. Bradley was supposed to be his Rudy Gobert or his Clint Capella, 
a rim protector at one end, and racing past the bigger, bulkier centers for dunks at the other. But Orlando, which had the number one pick in the 93 draft, wasn't interested in drafting Bradley because they already had Shaq and feared that if the deal fell through, they'd be stuck with two centers. They wanted Penny Hardaway to pair with Shaq, but were willing to roll the dice and take C. Webb because if worse came to worst, they could play him at power forward next to Shaq. And that was actually C. Webb's preferred scenario. Philly, which had the number two pick, was set on taking Bradley to pair with their dynamic young guard, Allen Iverson. So they were not interested in making any sort of deal. Nelson, sitting at number three, couldn't get the guy he wanted. Now, having tanked away a season for a shot at Bradley and under pressure after being the third seed two years earlier and getting upset by the sixth seeded Sonics, led by George Carl, by the way, the same coach Nelson had fired to install himself as head coach and GM, Nelly gave in to the rest of his staff, who were actually more excited about the prospect of getting Weber than Bradley, and made a deal with Orlando, sending them three future first-round picks and the rights to number three pick Penny Hardaway in exchange for Chris Weber. That's how the Warriors wound up with the Rookie of the Year and a first-round matchup against Charles Barkley and the Phoenix Suns. The relationship between Weber and Nelson never really had a chance, though, and owner Chris Cohan opted to trade Weber rather than fire Nelson although he then did exactly that at the All-Star break that same season. I won't bore you with too many details on how the We Believe squad came together, but suffice it to say, if the malice in the palace had not happened, and Warriors GM Chris Mullen had not forged a close relationship with Pacers GM Donnie Walsh while wrapping up his playing career with the Pacers, the arrival of Steven Jackson and Al Harrington in mid-season to join Baron Davis, Monte Ellis, and Jason Richardson does not happen. Now, for the golden era that the Warriors just enjoyed. That, too, required some extraordinary events that were not by design. First, the attempts to get Tyson Chandler, DeAndre Jordan, and Dwight Howard all had to fall through, all of which the Warriors tried to do. As did the attempt to hire Stan Van Gundy, who was their first choice, and turned it down to take over the Detroit Pistons instead. If any one of those big men had been signed to the long-term deals the Warriors hoped to give them, and in fact did give DeAndre Jordan in an offer sheet, the small ball Warriors would have never happened. If Van Gundy doesn't go to Detroit, Steve Kerr pursues interest from the New York Knicks instead, and the small ball Warriors never happens. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Small ball warriors also wouldn't have happened if David Lee hadn't pulled his hamstring, opening the door for a second round pick, making 
$914,000 in Draymond Green to step in as power forward. Lee, the highest paid warrior at the time making $15 million, assuredly wouldn't have been benched if he hadn't been injured. The Warriors also had the benefit of Steph Curry being plagued with ankle injuries early in his career, making the four-year, $44 million deal the Warriors gave him practically a gift. But his subsequent recovery from those issues meant that they had an MVP caliber player on the cheap. With Curry the fourth highest paid player on the team, and Klay Thompson still on his rookie deal, and Draymond Green making less than a mil, it meant the Warriors had cap room to add expensive accessories like Andre Iguodala and Sean Livingston, along with extending Andrew Bogut for three years and $36 million. The idea that the Warriors would have won two more titles without Kevin Durant ignores the bind the Warriors were in after losing the 2016 title to the Cavs. Klay Thompson and Draymond Green were now making top dollar. Bogut had lost all interest in even trying to shoot, much, much less score, and was dumped on Dallas halfway through the following season for a second-round pick. Two consecutive runs to the finals had taken their toll on Iguodala, who had to be nursed through the season to make sure he was healthy enough to make an impact in the playoffs, and Sean Livingston, who had to do extensive work on the left knee that nearly required amputation after he tore every ligament in it seven years prior to joining the Warriors just to be able to play 20 effective minutes off the bench. The Warriors would have had no way of getting KD had there not been a massive bump in revenue as a result of new gargantuan TV deals and the Players Union's refusal to have the windfall introduced gradually over several seasons. In hindsight, a move that would have benefited the players more than the huge instant surplus, which allowed the free agent class of 2016 to suck up all the money, rather than allowing it to be dispersed to several free agent classes. Again, if there was the slow introduction, Warriors can't afford to get KD. KD can't afford to come to the Warriors unless he's taken a massive, massive pay cut, which... I could not have seen coming, not at that point. If the players' union doesn't decide, no, we want all of our money now, it doesn't happen. If there weren't streaming services that were suddenly interested in trying to get a piece of the NBA schedule, then the existing TV partners, ESPN and Turner, would not have been pushed to pay what they did and bumping the revenue from TV deals so massively. Any of that happens, KD doesn't show up. And the Warriors' dynasty never happens. Instead, all that allowed the Warriors to sign KD outright for the price of letting Harrison Barnes go as a free agent, a sacrifice easier to make after Barnes struggled in the finals against the Cavs. It should be clear now how the Warriors benefited from so many turns of fortune they could not and did not anticipate to enjoy one of the great runs in the modern era. So let's look at what has to happen now for the Warriors to recapture a semblance of the team that enjoyed all that. One, it has to survive without Klay Thompson for what appears to be the first month or two of the season. 
Every indication is that the Warriors are terrified of a third catastrophic injury, and understandably so. Even the ever-upbeat Clay has admitted that it's been slow going because he's not just recovering from one injury, but two. And whenever he does get back and his minutes restriction is lifted, which could be all the way up to the All-Star break, he can't just be a lesser version of Clay. After or despite missing two years with two major injuries, torn ACL in one leg, torn Achilles in the other, the expectation from some Warriors fans is that he'll pick up right where he left off, which, be, which would be not just as an all-star, but an all-defensive player and with all-NBA-level ability. At least they're right in thinking that that's what has to happen because this Warriors team isn't anywhere as good as the one he, we last saw him play for. That one still had KD arguably the best player in the game. It also had Livingston still, and an Iguodala at 35 who could still be a postseason impact player, not a soon-to-be 38-year-old Iggy who couldn't get more than 18 minutes a game for a Heat team that desperately needed vintage Iguodala against the Bucks. Now, Andrew Wiggins had the most efficient regular season of his career last year for the Warriors, and I have no reason to believe he can't replicate or even possibly improve on that. But Wiggins still has five playoff games on his ledger. One first-round appearance with the Timberwolves. He is a complete unknown when it comes to performing in the postseason, or even when it comes to important clutch games down the stretch of the regular season. And his sometimes curious regular season decision-making doesn't fill me with confidence that the playoffs, where one bad decision can tilt an outcome, is sure to be his happy place. James Wiseman, meanwhile, who was so shaky as a rookie he couldn't hold on to his starting job, does not appear quite ready for prime time either. Based on Steve Kerr's comments about draft picks Jonathan, Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody after their summer league performances, I'm not sure how much playing time they can expect to get. As of right now, I see the Warriors' rotation to open the season as Curry, Draymond, Wiggins, Wiseman, Juan Toscano-Anderson, Damian Lee, Jordan Poole, and Otto Porter Jr. If Wiseman or Anderson falls, it would open the door for Nemanja Bialica to get some run. But that's seven players who were part of a Warriors team they couldn't make the playoffs last year, despite Curry leading the league in scoring and ridiculous degree of difficulty shots made. And that's with the loss of Kelly Oubre Jr. in his 15.5 points and six rebounds and inspired defense to free agency. And as much as I think Otto Porter Jr. has the IQ and temperament to play in the Warriors system, I wouldn't expect him to replicate Oubre's energy or production. Porter, despite being 27, has struggled to stay healthy and played a total of 57 games over the last three seasons. If you're thinking some version of Clay Thompson showing up halfway through the season is going to flip the squad into a dark horse title contender, there's no rational conversation about basketball to be had. If he inspired them to lock down a playoff spot, it would be a major achievement. 
That's why I consider it important to understand and appreciate all that has already gone the Warriors' way for them and their fans to enjoy what they have. Because when you understand you've been lucky or that luck eventually runs out, you don't go demanding more or act as if being on top is owed you simply for who you've been. You're grateful for what you already have enjoyed, knowing that for some unknown reason, the forces that be decided to grace you over someone else. And if they should have a little bit of leftover magic dust to sprinkle on you one more time, you are profusely grateful, rather than looking at it disappointed that it didn't get you back to the heights that you once previously enjoyed. That's what Clay Thompson, returning to some semblance of his pre previous form, would be. That's what it would take for the Warriors to be among the top six teams in the West and assure themselves of at least one solid playoff round. And when I say top six teams in the West, I don't mean one, two, or three. I mean four, five, or six. To ask or expect more is to ignore what they were last year and not understand nor appreciate what they had when they were the envy of the entire league. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. In the next episode, I'm thinking of a couple different potential angles. One would be looking at the players that went to the G League rather than playing in college and how they stack up against some of the top players who didn't take that route. We've already seen some distinct differences between how Cade Cunningham and Jalen Green in particular have carried themselves. And I have some thoughts about what may be gained or lost in taking the G League route. There's also, we're waiting to hear more about where Ben Simmons might wind up. I mentioned that uh, Memphis Grizzlies are a favorite of mine to make a splash next season. So we will be examining one of those subjects in the upcoming podcast episodes. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.